We're going to talk today about how to start a conversation that you don't know how to start. That's in an hour from now. We are also going to talk about sunscreen for a couple of really good reasons. One being, mm, we don't really use it the right way, believe it or not. Most of us completely either miss putting it on or aren't using it properly. So we'll go over all that stuff. But more importantly, there are people in this city where if you ranked a whole lot of things on a list of stuff they need, they'd have the same list as the rest of us, only theirs would stop because they just don't have the resources to go further than the essentials. And sunscreen, not necessarily an essential. So over at Dundas and Sons Brewing Company, they are actually collecting sunscreen and other things that can help protect our fellow Londoners from what the sun is giving. And today it is giving us a very hot day. And I don't know if you've looked at the long range forecast next week. This is still long range, but next week, I don't think there's a day that doesn't start with a three. And then you factor in the Humidex, we are heading into a warm stretch. Remember when we were complaining about not getting warm weather? Oh, the weather's terrible. This isn't a very nice spring. Well, here you go. And now, of course, we're at the other extreme. But we're going to talk with Robert Dundas of Dundas and Sons Brewing Company. Lots of other things ahead on the show. Rup Chanderdat is going to join us. He won his 300th career game. We'll play a little bit of This Is Your Life with Rup Chanderdat. Get him to take us back to even getting into deciding to take over the London Majors. And what they wanted to do at the outset, what they have done since then. Rup's a really fascinating guy. So that's coming up later on as well. But I really think we have to have a conversation, and one that really isn't that difficult to start. In fact, thanks to our good friend Bill Brock, who's a great friend of London Live, he's kind of put things into perspective. He sent in an email, and I really liked it, but we had Taz and Jim on the 96 take talking about downtown and specifically the closing of the McDonald's. And I've had a a couple of emails and a DM on Twitter about this and the idea that, yeah, we are going to see McDonald's in the tower at Dundas and Richmond close down. And Right now, it services a lot of people. One of the concerns is, of course, some of the stuff that goes on just outside that location. And, you know, whether it's good for business, bad for business, otherwise. But when we're dealing with the city and moving forward, what is the real push that we keep hearing from everybody? We've got to get more people downtown. And it is going to happen. One of the topics of conversation, high rises around Victoria Park. How high should they rise? We know that big developments are coming in. We know that we're building up, not out. And the push is going to be to get people into a smaller area. If you look at the way a lot of really big cities have gone, they're now into neighborhoods. You subsist in your neighborhood. And if your neighborhood is downtown, that's your neighborhood. If you are in one of the corners of the city, that's your neighborhood. And that's where you can find everything that you need. And you really don't have to leave that. We've made it all smaller. But downtown London is something that has really been on the radar, even going back to the late 90s. Think about the late 90s. What was going on in downtown London? What headlines were we hearing and seeing? We were hearing and seeing 
all kinds of things about downtown London being a disaster, crumbling. No one wanted to go downtown. Rotting was a word that was used. And we're talking about just over 20 years ago. Well, look at it now. It's a whole lot different. And you can credit Budweiser Gardens, what it has brought, Covent Garden Market, what it has brought. But the downtown of a city is always incredibly important. It really, really is. And what we need to do is figure out how exactly we want our downtown to operate. So here's the thing. I want to read you an email that has come from Bill. And I'll read it to the end, and then we'll open up the phones. And I'd love to get your thoughts on how you see things going. Here's what Bill has written. I send you this comment because of the new reality about downtown BRT being forced to go downtown to protect the future of same. Southwest London is on the scene with major developments, including Costco and Ikea. Why would one go downtown? Northwest London just announced a major plan to make it a downtown community with everything included. Uh, He says, major development being planned at Highbury and Fanshawe, perhaps. Masonville Mall just announced major residential developments. So a reality check is to address what the impact will be on downtown. And remember, the casino is going southwest, too. He says, in the early 2000s, and this is going back to what we were just referencing, late 90s, early 2000s, At that point, Mayor Tom Gosnell indicated malls would have no impact on downtown. A few years later, a downtown mall closed, and the rest is factual evidence of a real problem trying to force the protection of downtown. Bill says, you heard it first, and hopefully it leads to an open and honest discussion. Do you look at downtown as being something that that is being forced on us? That's a great question from Bill. Are we being forced to say, okay, we've got to have a vibrant downtown. We've got to make sure people are here. We've got to make sure people are living here. Is that part of your plan? Because to tell you the truth, I do have that as a part of my future plan. I hope to move downtown when we become empty nesters. That's just something that I would like to do. We've even scouted out potential spots where we could go. But do you feel? that downtown London is being forced on Londoners, that the attention is being forced by whatever it is, whether it is city council, whether it is developers, whether it is just the idea of, you know, a city should look this way. You know, in life, you can have a lot of shoulds. You should do this. You should do that. We should go here. And sometimes you got to listen to those shoulds. Other times, eh, you're not doing yourself any favors. Where do you see this? 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at Stubbs980. How big a concern should the improvement of downtown London be? How key is this? Or do you see yourself living the rest of your life where you do right now and not really needing downtown London? You'll visit it from time to time if Sunfest is on or, you know, just off the beaten path of downtown. If Rock the Park is on, you'll you'll take in some of that, some of the festivals, maybe go to the Covent Garden Market, catch a Knights game. But other than that, no, don't really need it. Do you see it being that way or is this something that we do need to continue a concerted effort for?
519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca, or you can tweet me at stubs980. We'll start off with Marilyn. Marilyn, how is your day going? Well, not too bad, thank you, dear. Um, we spent a lot of time up town when I was a kid, and in my teenagers, uh, teenage years, well, right up to the time I was about in my 50s and 60s. But when the uh, malls opened and the parking was so available, that kind of killed up the going downtown for me. But I can remember there was a United Cigar store right on the corner where uh, McDonald's is. Besides the United Cigar store was uh, Liggett's Drug Store. And besides Liggett's Drug Store was Smallman and Ingrid's Department Store. And beside that store was Woolworth's. So I can remember going, I used to love going downtown, but, you know, think times change. Now, if you're going to move in the city, and there's a lot of professional people uh, that uh, have moved into the city, into apartment buildings, you need your grocery stores, you need your drug stores, and so on and so forth. Well, you make a good point. I think one of the things that we're waiting for is to be able to say, here's the population, okay, then we do get more, we do get a grocery store downtown, and I've heard from a lot of people that that, that will be coming, but you need to prove population. It's, it's almost like when certain towns and smaller cities want to have a second beer store, a second liquor store, you've got to prove a certain amount of population, and then they'll say, okay, you've got enough, you can have one of those things. So I think those things are coming, but do you see, Marilyn, that it is important to pursue fixing up downtown, improving downtown, and, and encouraging people to spend time downtown? Well, yes, of course. It's my city. I was born in Victoria Hospital, 9, January 21st, 35, in the old hospital, and grew up, went to school in, in London, and played in the symphony orchestras and everything else. So, of course, I'm a Londoner, and I love London. We're very fortunate to live here. Absolutely. Marilyn, thank you for that. Thank you, dear, and have a great day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Gary, how do you feel? Do you feel that we should be spending time and effort on encouraging downtown growth? Well, I think yes, um, but as long as they do something with it. Um, you know, if you look at like Beale Street in Ottawa, you know, those type of places mm-hmm. where they, you know, like I know that we're making it a flex street, um, which is great. But like realistically, Mike, they need to clean it up, right? Like it, a lot of the buildings and stuff are disgusting looking. Um, they're very sloppy. Um, you know, there's, it looks to me like it's like a lot of pawn shops, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the, you know, all the, all the, the drug activity that goes on down there. Um, I can tell you right now, like my wife will never, ever go downtown. And it's because of that. And like she said, there's not much there to offer. You know, the Bud Gardens, okay, that's fair. Um, Cullen Garden Market, you know, uh, as an occasional Sunday outing. But like to go and regularly be down there, no, there's not really, there's really not much to offer, especially like I live out in Southwest London. So, you know, you've got your Walmarts and, you know, the Ikea's coming and all that type of thing they're not really making it so that, you know, people need to go down there. Like it used to be in the seventies, you know, with like the Simpsons stores and all of them and the, like the storefronts and all that. Mm-hmm. I, I just find that it like downtown to me is, is disgusting. Like it's dirty. 
And if it has and, that feel, you're right, nobody's going to want to go down there. And I really think that's what they're trying to fix up with improving Dundas, making the Flex Street. Spark Street in Ottawa would be a fantastic thing if we could have half the things that, that Spark Street has in Ottawa. Yeah, I'll, I'll take that all day long. It'd be great. But the problem with it is, is that you've got all the people who live down there who all they do is bitch and complain. Oh, it's too noisy. It's too this, it's too that. And I understand that. But it's not that it's every single day of the week that there's, you know, big concerts going on and that type of thing. And and people got to get over that. And, you know, the problem with City Hall is that they take the word of those people over the word of, of people that would want to go down there. Right, and the I people that are making thing, noise. Yeah, and I think maybe, well, not just that, like people going down and wanting to have a good time without, you know, hearing, oh, it's too loud, it's too this, and then things get canceled and everything, and then people give up on it. And that's probably, to me, is what has happened over the years. I mean, you know, look at that lady, like, you know, talking about the um, having music on the patios. It's summer, for God's sake. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, come on. Like, you know, if you want to draw people out there, you've got to give them something to go to. But everybody goes, well, there's no point in going down there because all they're going to do is bitch and complain that it's too loud. The bars aren't going to offer any type of services besides expensive drinks. Um, You know, what's the point? I might as well sit in my backyard with a fire and have some friends over, and my neighbors don't care. Gary, thanks for the call today. You bet, Mike. Take care. 519-643-2222. And that's an attitude that you can't help but having sometimes. If you do make something unattractive, unappealing, if you aren't allowed to do this, do that, if you have complaints, yeah, it, it does factor into the decision to do something. 519-643-2222. Ron, how you doing? Hey, Mike. Um, I just moved back in. I've lived here for about a year now, just from um, a block or two from Labatt's Park, down along Wilson Ave, down along Albion. Mm-hmm. Now, they are working on the noise, because I was outside a couple times last night, rocked the park, almost right beside it. But, uh, yeah, they're working on the noise. I barely even noticed the noise last night, so they're working on the noise levels downtown. But you know what? They keep, they keep coming back and doing more work and more work and more work hoping that people will go downtown, and they don't want to be there. They keep wrecking it. Wellington Square Mall was unique. Um, The old arcade was built like a subway bunker. It was unique. There's nothing unique downtown anymore. Why go down there? We've lost those things along the way. Yeah. So why go down there? Well, that's, and mean, that's what they're, they're hoping that something like the Dundas Flex Street provides, reason but, to go downtown. But Budweiser Gardens has improved it a little. Mm-hmm. Fanshawe has improved it a little. Now, I remember when I was in high school, 1986, 1987, when they were building Galleria, and I remember walking down, downtown then because I used to live on Forward Ave, and sometimes I would walk from Beale back to Riverside and Warncliffe, and I remember going right down Dundas in front of Galleria, and I'm like, this stinks, and this is going to be the beginning of the end of downtown. And that's the way a lot of people felt that that's that's kind of the way it was going to go. I I I don't I feel that our downtown is is vibrant enough right now. I just I wonder about the future, and that's they, why when when Bill had pointed to all the things that were being pushed out they, to neighborhoods and out to other parts of the yeah, city, you wonder if if you know are we being forced and pushed to we are, we create are, we, a downtown? We're being forced to go down there. If, if I didn't live near downtown now, and I've called you over the years, I've lived in Wortley Village. Mm-hmm. I've lived near Clark and Trafalgar, which is south of uh, Clark and Dundas. I didn't have to come downtown if I didn't want to. Now, sometimes if I go downtown, even though I'm like right beside it now, I take paratransit and I go to where I'm going and then I get out. Right. 
Ron, thanks for the call. Yeah. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Let's go to Jesse. Hello, Mike. Hey, Jesse. Uh, interesting discussion. I One of your previous callers was sort of saying, I don't want to misquote him, <coughs> that there should be uh, noise downtown. And uh, I think you used the word vibrance. Uh, that's what you look for from a downtown, you know, some vibrancy, you know. As someone who lived in Toronto for many years, you know, you look at the young Dandas Square. And uh, I think the thing that London... I don't pretend to be an urban planner. I've lived in quite a few cities, but uh, London is a huge sprawl for a city of only 400,000. It's really a huge geographical area. And uh, I guess what the uh, city politicians are banking on is that uh, everything will sprout like a wheel. You know, the downtown will sprout out. The uh, southwest is going to sprout out with the new casino and everything. And uh, I think the city's on the verge of either something really great or not too great. <laughs> you know, it's almost like it's a crapshoot and nobody knows where it's going. Yeah. No, but it's too bad because I think the Budweiser Gardens saved downtown there. I, I have to agree. Covent Garden Market and Budweiser Gardens, absolutely. When you look at all of the businesses, the restaurants, everything that is opened around there, without that, I wonder what downtown would look like right now. I wonder if it would be complete tumbleweeds. It isn't. It does have room for improvement. I think they're really working to make those improvements, but you you make an interesting point. We're on the verge of something great, or we're on the verge of, uh, none of this worked out how everybody expected to. Thanks for the call, Jesse. Five one nine six four three twenty two twenty two. Time for one more on this. And Jeff, that belongs to you. Yeah, I say get rid of all the park, the paid parking, every day, all day, all year round, free parking. Yeah, you know what? The I I would be in favor of that. I think that that does become a deterrent, especially when we look at the way that private enterprise has taken over the parking lots. Parking lots have become a business instead of something that really used to just pick up a few dollars for the city. So, yeah, free parking right. and free transit has been tried by other cities, and I know that's something that at least has been raised in discussion. Whether that would ever come to something, I'm not sure. But, yeah, you make it tough for somebody to do something, they're not going to do it. Yeah, and you're always worried about the timeline to get back to your vehicle so you don't have a ticket or it gets towed, right? So yeah. you always got that in the back of your head, too. So I just, I don't even bother going. And and the other callers are right. It's it's just disgusting, like, the, the people that are down that way hanging around and stuff and... You know, and I don't know. Bad. I don't know what we do about that at all. If that's if that's the the feeling that that people have, I'm I'm not sure quite how to make the fix. Jeff, thanks for the call. Have a great day. All right. If you have any other thoughts, please email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. Time for one quick email before we go. Alan says, "I won't go downtown anymore because of the drug issues." Only time I go is when there's a Knights game on, then I leave. We have the same problem happening at Huron and Highbury ever since the Services Canada building opened in the mall with the Walmart. My daughter did work in that mall at one of the businesses. It was common for someone to use the public washroom. The washroom would end up being closed uh, because someone was shooting up in the bathroom, leaving things like blood all, all over the stalls. Police would not get involved, would tell them to call paramedics. They would be gone by the time... Anyone showed up, still happens to this day. My daughter no longer works there after I found out. It's sad we pretend to help these people. That's, this is Alan saying that. Like the so-called safe injection sites, these people need real help, not our politically correct fix and our look the other way. We'll leave it there. We'll let you know what's still ahead on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. 
Tweet from Andy that says, I'm old enough to remember when that market tower building housed Simpsons department store. Andy, that does not make you old. That does not make you old. That makes you distinguished. Uh, We are going to talk about sunscreen, believe it or not. And just bear with me on this. Remember Baz Luhrmann? We were talking about the late 90s, early 2000s in our last discussion about downtown and whether it's being forced upon us or whether it's something worth having so that we can all one day move downtown. Am I wrong to think that that's going to be a good idea? I think it's a great idea. Five years, four years, three years, I don't, somewhere in that ballpark. I hope that's where I'm living. But if you remember Baz Luhrmann, remember the song that went really, really big? I'll play a bit of it in a couple of minutes. But it started off, ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, always wear sunscreen. We're going to talk sunscreen for a a big reason. Do you know how to properly use sunscreen? Do you even need it if you're somebody that kind of tans up? Is it even a big deal? Yeah, the answer is probably yes, but we're going to have a medical professional help us out with that. And then we're going to talk with someone who's making a big difference for people who may not be able to afford sunscreen. And you think, ah, come on, that doesn't... No, if you had a list of things that you needed through the course of a day and you didn't have that much in the way of resources, it would be a pretty short list. And sunscreen, I guarantee, would not be on it. And in the summer, in this area, with the way things have gone the last few days and the way they're projected to go over the next week or so, uh, this is going to be an issue. We'll talk about it in five minutes. News is next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. I think it was Jesse who, in our conversation last half hour, brought up the impact that one or two people who like to complain about things can have. Well, it happened again last night. You know what happened at 3 a.m.? Unless you don't sleep with a cell phone nearby, you weren't waking. But if you do sleep with that cell phone nearby, 3 a.m., you got an alert, basically an Amber Alert, about children, about a grandfather, about some concerns, and it would have gone off twice, and it would have wakened you. People keep calling 911, but here's the thing. I think it's that's a pretty big generalization. We We have heard that... Calls were flooded in. If you look at the global news story out of Toronto, Amber Alert complaints flood in after two boys and a grandfather go missing in Newmarket. And first of all, don't don't ever call 911 for something like that. That's not what it's for. And don't call. Just don't. Don't call anybody. This is this is a system. You know full well that. Anybody who is called, if they had looked over at their phone, picked it up even, and said, oh, wow, there's an Amber Alert, and it involves my neighbor, all of a sudden, they would have been out of bed helping. But because it doesn't deal with them, ah, they don't care. Or if it had been an alert that there is severe weather in your neighborhood, and you look out the window and there's a tornado there, oh, well, that mattered. I'm, I'm so happy I got that alert. But because it doesn't affect them, they don't care. Well, you can't have it both ways. So in order to get the alerts, you're going to get the alerts. Know what I mean? Unbelievable. I hope flood, in terms of flooded calls, I hope that was an exaggeration. I really do. Enough. Just accept it. Roll back over. Go to sleep. That's it.
We can do a lot of things to safeguard ourselves. That's one of them. You know what another one is? And we are going to talk about it today because there are two areas that we want to touch on. One, what Dundas and Sons Brewing Company is doing. We'll talk with Robert Dundas in about 10 minutes from now because they're helping out people who maybe can't afford their own sunscreen or can't really get protection from the sun. And we've got some hot weather now. We're going to have some sunny weather coming, some very hot weather it looks like coming next week. But... Even before we get to that, we're going to talk with Dr. Mario Elia to make sure we even know how to use the stuff, the sunscreen. Remember going back into the late 90s? Remember this particular tune? Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it. The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. That was a brilliant piece of... Music, if that's what you want to call it. It actually peaked at number 11 on the Canada Top Singles Charts. I think it went number one in the UK. But if you were young then and you're not as young as you were then now, there's a lot of stuff. Go back and and listen to that song or at least check out the lyrics. There's a lot of stuff, I'll tweet it out, uh, that you kind of go, yeah, you know what? That, That does make sense. Now, and sunscreen was number one on Baz Lorman's list. So if we're going to take that song and put it to good use, we better make sure we know how to use the stuff. We'll do that next. Dr. Mario Alaya will join us on London Live. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So, you wear sunscreen? I'll come clean and say, I don't usually. I'll end up getting pretty tanned in the summer. It's probably a smart thing. I tan easy, so you think, yeah, I'm not burnt. Doesn't necessarily matter, I know that. But how exactly do we we go about making sure that we are as protected as we need to be? Because that sun's a lot more powerful than it used to be even a few years ago. And science can tell us that. Dr. Mario Alaya joins us right now on London Live. But even before we get to sunscreen, Dr. Alaya, you were in Cleveland at and around the All-Star Game festivities that just went by in Major League Baseball. How were those? So that was fantastic. I was down there with the uh, wife and my uh, five-month-old for the uh, fan fest. Uh, at the All-Star Game for a few days. And the city was buzzing. Uh, first All-Star Game in Cleveland since 97. Um, so the city was, was, was uh, a buzz. Uh, All-Stars uh, in town, all the, all the celebrities brought back a whole bunch of ex, ex-athletes, uh, ex-ball uh, players. So Jim Tomey was back in town. Doc Gooden was there. Raleigh Fingers, Louis Tion. They brought the uh, MLB did a great job of uh, putting it together. It was a lot of fun. They had a parade on the, uh, on, the, on the day of the All-Star Game, too. So a lot of fun in Cleveland. Did you catch a glimpse of Raleigh Fingers at all? Does he still have the mustache? He de- it's a little more reserved than it was during his playing <laughs> days, but he is still he is still definitely sporting the mustache. Yes, actually, Louis Tion's mustache is actually now bigger than Raleigh's fingers, just to put it in perspective. 
Now, Dr. Elia, when I look back, the weather over those couple of days, lots of bright sunshine. It was actually picture perfect. It was beautiful. But we've got to talk some sunscreen because we had a hot day yesterday. We've got more hot weather coming in next week. And it seems that we get all kinds of differing advice on on what to do in terms of sunscreen. Some people will go with the, you've got to coat yourself in the SPF 50. Uh, Others will say, hey, my skin just turns brown. I'm fine. I've never needed sunscreen. Where do you begin when somebody asks you about sunscreen? It's a great question, and it's dizzying even for health professionals to kind of navigate the recommendations and the evidence. So I understand why kind of the public can sometimes be overwhelmed. Um, the, the the simplest kind of explanation that I can give give to, uh, to, the, to patients in the public would be um, that certainly in, in summer months, uh, whether it be a cloudy day or a sunny day, um, people are at risk of the sun um, damaging their skin, so certainly sun damage, and then increasing the risk of non-melanoma skin cancers. So this is where kind of sun protection uh, becomes quite important, um, even for those who, again, who, who bronze easily, we'll say. So it's, it's important right across um, uh, right across all, all populations. Um, what's important is that the sunscreen has an SPF, minimum of 30. That's kind of the, the, the number to remember uh, for people. Um, anything higher than that really isn't too critical, but 30 is, is the bare minimum of, of, of what people should be, should be going for. The other thing that we want to ensure is that they're putting it on every two hours if they're in the sun. That's the big mistake people make. They go to the beach, they put it on once for the day, and they call it a day. And really, we know that it really should be applied every couple hours to maximize the effect. And the third thing people often miss is how much to put on. So the, the, a, a good guideline is to be putting on about an ounce, so about a shot glass of sunscreen to cover the entire body. Most people probably underdose, I think it would be safe to say. Um, so those three things are the things that are important. So SPF of 30, um, uh, making sure they're using a sufficient amount, so a good shot glass full, and putting on every, every two hours. Dr. Mario Elia joining us as we do talk sunscreen for the summer. So already I think we've learned a few things. Nothing over SPF 30 is doing that much more. Uh, you also need to reapply, and you also don't necessarily need just that, that little bit. You, you should be using, it sounds like, pretty decent amounts, a shot glass for the body. That, that sounds like it's a, a good, good covering. That is, that is, it's a good amount, uh, and if, if someone's using like a zinc oxide, like one of those really, really kind of pearly white sunscreens, you're, you're going to look a bit like a ghost, um, but yeah, in a shot glass for the whole body should be good. Well, let's talk a little bit about what you had said about non-melanoma skin cancer. What even is that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's, there's two kind of main categories of, of skin cancer. So there's melanoma. So melanoma is really... Um, a potentially life-threatening uh, skin cancer. Um, that's the one where, in, in most people, not, not everybody, but it will often be um, kind of a dark, irregular lesion, um, and, and those need to be kind of cut out promptly because those can actually spread. So when you hear someone dying of melanoma, uh, dying of skin cancer, uh, it, it's a melanoma-type skin cancer that, um, that uh, is often life-threatening. The majority of people do well with, with melanoma once they get it removed, but it, it, can, be, it can be concerning. There's another category called non-melanoma skin cancers. So those are skin cancers like basal cell skin cancers or squamous cell skin cancers. Um, these are far, far more common than melanoma. If you've got anybody 
kind of older in your life who's had uh, an issue with skin cancer that seemed to be kind of dealt with fairly quickly was probably one of these skin cancers. Um, the reason why we want to prevent these is that these can be cosmetically um, kind of disfiguring, especially on people's faces. We want to, first of all, prevent them, and uh, number two, treat them early. So these are the skin cancers that really are most affected by um, the uh, the damage from the sun. And uh, with, with sunscreen use, there's some fairly decent evidence that um, good sunscreen use can reduce the risk of these uh, these skin cancers. How do you go about identifying skin cancer? How difficult is it? It's uh, it's not easy. So I, I will. It's not not easy for for the public. I'll say um, in that a, a lesion that um, is seemingly benign to the naked eye under a special light that we have called a dermoscope can. Um, can raise some red flags. So there, there's certain features that we look for. We call them the A, B, C, D, E rules. So certainly if it's asymmetrical, um, that would that would uh, raise red flags. So if you essentially put a line right through the middle of the spot and one spot's not the same as the other, that would we would describe that as asymmetrical and that should probably be seen. If it has irregular borders, so borders is the B. Uh, C is color. So if it's a black or a blue, uh, or an irregular kind of color where the color is not kind of uniform through the whole uh, lesion. That would be something we would want to uh, look for. Uh, diameter, so the larger the spot is getting, the more concerning uh, it potentially is. Now, a lot of people have kind of big spots that have been there for years, um, kind of brown spots on their back. Those aren't the ones we necessarily worry about. But if the spot's getting bigger, um, kind of wider, we would be more concerned. And then the E is elevation. So if the lesion's getting higher, that would also be something that to, to, to be worrisome. But in reality, if someone has a new spot that is changing, that they have any concerns about, the best course of action is probably to ask your, your physician. Um, because to be honest, I've had people come in with spots that they weren't concerned about, that they just brought to my eye, and I did a little biopsy, and it turned out to be melanoma. Um, and vice versa, patients are concerned about spots that I reassure them about. But it's always a good idea just to get them checked if there's any doubt at all. Now, when you say spot, does spot correlate to mole as well, or can they be two different things? No, any any skin, any um, uh, how should I say this? Any change in the skin that doesn't look like your normal skin tone, I would say um, that uh, that it has. Uh, again, if it's been there for years and years, it hasn't changed. No reason to get it get it checked at all. If there's any new spots, I think that that's fair to get, fair to get those checked. Gotcha. And again, spot spot and mole. I'm using those uh, interchangeably. Okay, but just be looking at your body, know what it looks like. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, and then... And even some patients, I'll tell, I'll tell some patients actually take it. There's certain, uh, if they're prone to moles, you know, some people are just very moly, I'll have them take uh, pictures, uh, full body photos. Um, these can either be done professionally or kind of if someone just wants to monitor it on, on their own high quality phone, they can monitor it and use that to track their own spots too. Dr. Elia, thank you so much for all the information. Great to know that Cleveland did well during the All-Star game. That that city needs something since the departure of LeBron. So glad to hear yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Yeah, it was a great time. And uh, thanks for having me on. And uh, always happy to chat about anything medical. Take care. Dr. Mario Elia, as we talk sunscreen. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation, but take a different vein. Because Robert Dundas and Dundas & Sons Brewing Company... They have decided that they are going to do something, and sunscreen is a major part of it. I'll tell you what that is when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It's one thing to spot something that needs some attention in your world. It's another thing to actually do something about it. 
Well, that's what Robert Dundas of Dundas Sons and Brewing Company is doing, and he's been nice enough to take a couple of minutes and talk to us about what is happening. Robert, how are things today at Dundas and Sons? Oh, it's warm outside, so things are good, but it's hot out, so we're trying to make things better for the community. Well, that you are. Uh, you have to tell us, because we were just talking about using sunscreen. What if that's kind of low on your list of things that you're able to buy? That's kind of a case for a lot of different people. What are you guys up to? Uh, we're down at Adelaide and Dundas, and we see all kinds down there. There's some soup kitchens and some other relief stations, but uh, I've seen some people walking by with some pretty bad burns. And I just went, got back from vacation, and uh, I, I, it was on my mind. I saw it on the weekend. A lady had walked by, and she was beet red, terrible burns. So I'm not quite sure what, uh, what kind of programs exist, but I'm not sure if they're being utilized properly. So I figured I'd put the all call out and try to get some community support to try to get some access to these kind of things, hats, aloe, sunscreen, that sort of stuff. So you're basically looking for anything that can help anyone to be shielded from the sun, not just sunscreen. Yeah, yeah, anything that'll help, sunglasses, hats, whatever. If somebody wants to drop something off, what do they do? When do they do it? Uh, our business hours are on Google and Facebook. Just bring something into the bar. Uh, it's 400 Adelaide Street North. There's some parking on Marshall Street. And uh, just bring it by. I'm going to go pick up a water cooler today and put it out front because I want access to water for people, too. We're talking with Robert Dundas from Dundas and Sons, and we're looking at the fact that in hot weather, in really sunny weather, there are people in this community who really don't have a lot of defense against it. And Robert has decided to do something about that. So anything that you could drop off, please drop it off. Robert, is this something you've done before, or is this kind of a first-time thing? Uh, first-time thing for me. I try to do things in the community that help people. It's a lot of less fortunate people. and You know, we're only one or two traumatic events away from being those people, believe it or not. They're just humans too, right? Helping them is something that... You know, we shouldn't really shy away from. We can judge a society based on how they treat their less fortunate, um, in my mind, anyway. But, uh, yeah, I'd never done anything quite like this before. I did a couple other charitable things around Christmas time to put a Christmas tree out. This is something that uh, I think needs to be addressed. Well, thank you for, number one, identifying it, and number two, not just saying, hey, that should be done, but being somebody who steps up and says, here's how we're going to get that done. Robert, thanks for the time. Again, the the address to drop it off at Dundas & Sons is? 400 Adelaide Street North. Have yourself an excellent afternoon. You too. Thanks so much for your time. Robert Dundas of Dundas & Sons Brewing Company here on London Live. So anything you can drop off, whether it is a hat, even if you've got a, a couple caps that you're not wearing, or any kind of wide-brimmed hat that's somewhere that you haven't taken out in forever. If you're doing some shopping, pick up some sunscreen. You don't have to pick up SPF 50, as we learned from Dr. Elia. SPF 30 will do just fine. But when you've got a list of things that you need in life in order just to survive, sunscreen, I don't think it even comes close to making the list. That's a luxury item. 
And that's one that for people who are outside, if they don't have a home to go to most of the day or all of the day on a day like today or days that are coming, we'll have cooling centers, I'm sure, set up next week because it is going to get warm. We can look back to April and May and wishy-wash our way away about how the weather wasn't quite up to snuff. Summer's here, and it's here in a big way. So if you can help out, please do so at Dundas and Sons Brewing Company on Adelaide. Let's take a break for news. We are going to meet Yvonne Heath in 10 minutes from now. Yvonne is an amazing person. I mean, if you're kind of feeling down today or feeling like you need a zap of energy, uh, get ready. She'll give it to you. But we're going to be talking about something that's a, a little bit Difficult. Starting conversations that you just don't know how to start. Yvonne's a master. She's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Good afternoon. It is 2 o'clock. I'm Jacqueline LaBelle in downtown London. Mostly sunny skies, 27 degrees, 34 with the humidity. Mayor Ed Holder hopes to set an inclusive example for the city in a little more than a week from now. Holder confirmed to 980 CFPL he will walk in the London Pride Parade. 980 CFPL's Andrew Graham reports. The news comes a little more than a month after Premier Doug Ford announced plans to skip out on Toronto's Pride Parade due to police exclusion. Back in London, Holder says he'll be joined by more than 100 representatives from the city. It's huge. I think it's the biggest wheel I've ever had. And I just think it uh, speaks to, uh, it, it says a lot of things about uh, who we are in London, and, uh, and I'm proud of our city to, uh, in, in a positive way to go. For President it. of Pride London Festival Andrew Rosser says he's happy to see a continued tradition of mayors walking in the parade. He adds that this year's festival is especially timely for the LGBTQ community. You know, marking the 50th anniversary of Stonewall, the 50 years since the partial decriminalization of homosexuality in Canada, transgender being taken off the World uh, Health Organization mental health um, disorder list. The kickoff to Pride London Festival is only a week away. You can find full details on pridelondon.ca. Andrew Graham, 980 CFPL. City police have charged a 20-year-old London man with arson following a fire at an apartment building this week on Fiddler's Green Road. It happened around 2 Monday afternoon. Crews responded to a working fire at the building. No occupants were in the unit. No injuries were reported, but police determined the fire was suspicious in nature. The 20-year-old accused faces a charge of arson with disregard for human life. Damage is pegged at $30,000. Police say a weapons call turned up a pellet gun and has led to several charges against a London man. Police received a call about a person who was possibly in possession of a weapon at around quarter to one yesterday afternoon. Members of the emergency response unit, as well as uniformed officers, attended a residence on Trafalgar Street. On scene, officers seized a pellet gun. A 33-year-old London man is charged with possession of a weapon, carrying a concealed weapon, and breach of probation. Police say there were no injuries sustained during the arrest. You're being reminded once again not to call 911 to complain about Amber Alerts. This after two boys taken by their grandfather yesterday afternoon were found safe. Police say as a direct result of the Amber Alert. Dave Woodard reports. It was just before four this morning when people started receiving the Amber Alert on their phones. Moments later, complaints about being woken up in the middle of the night by those alerts. Both Toronto Police and the OPP have sent out releases reminding you not to call 911 to complain about being woken up by the Amber Alert. 
In its release, the OPP says it understands the inconvenience of the system, but won't apologize for using all of the tools available in finding a child. Dave Woodard, Global News Radio. In the U.S., the Trump administration plans to start mass deportation of undocumented immigrants as early as this weekend, potentially targeting thousands of people in major cities. Global's Jackson Prosco reports from Washington. The nationwide raids are set to begin Sunday in an operation backed by President Trump. At least 2,000 people who've already been ordered deported will be targeted. But Immigration and Customs Enforcement says it will also carry out collateral deportations, meaning other undocumented immigrants could be swept up in the raids even if they aren't the target. The operation is expected to take place in 10 major cities. Democratic lawmakers have called the move heartless. Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington. You're listening to 980 CFPL. We are going to talk with Roop Chanderdad a little later on this hour. We're going to play a little bit of This Is Your Life with Roop. Because he hit 300 career victories in intercounty baseball. And if we go back a few years, we seem to be going back to late 90s, early 2000s throughout the show. If we go back a few years, Roop Chanderdat was taking over the London Majors with Scott Dart. So we'll go back to what made him make that decision and some of the things he wanted to do, some of the things he has done. Uh, some of the little nuances of intercounty baseball. Intercounty baseball is great in that you've got an awful lot of talent there, but when you're managing that talent, it's not easy because you're not dealing with guys who play baseball on a day to day basis. What do you do? I play baseball. You're dealing with people who are balancing jobs, regular family lives, and a baseball schedule, which winds up with two, three, sometimes even four games a week. So how do you do that? We'll get some insight in just a little while. Plus, we will talk about Rock the Park and what is happening tonight. First, though, we're pretty honored to have our next guest on the show. A little background on this. A few weeks ago, we were talking about organ donation and how difficult it is to have a conversation about organ donation with members of your family. And that prompted a really good friend of London Live, Alan Weatherall, to get in touch with us and say, if you want to meet someone who knows how to have difficult conversations, you need to meet Yvonne Heath. And now we get a chance to do just that. Yvonne is the author of Love Your Life to Death, How to Plan and Prepare for End of Life so you can live fully now. She worked in the healthcare field in Canada and in the United States for a combined 27 years in some very stressful places. Emergency, chemotherapy, intensive care. And she learned how to talk about grief, how to deal with grief, how to talk about death, how to deal with death. And... Yvonne not only talks about that in her book, she has a TEDx talk that does the very same thing. Yvonne, it is great to have you here on London Live. Well, uh, first I'll say that I'm so happy that Alan Weatherall connected us. What a great family, and uh, we go we go way back. We actually had our uh, our wedding Hawaiian themed stag and doe in their backyard 16 years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. Um, but yes, Mike, you're so right. I I worked in many departments as a registered nurse in the United States and Canada, 
And truly what I witnessed is that we are indeed a grief-phobic and death-phobic society, and we wait until we're in crisis. And then we think, then, then we try to navigate through, oh my goodness, what do I do with all this? But then we're already grieving and anxious and, you know, it, it's not the time to have important conversations. So I just, I stood back after, you know, 27 years, it took me a while. And I started to say to other healthcare professionals, like, are we well-prepared personally and professionally for grief and end of life? And, you know, grief shows up throughout life. I say it's whatever makes your heartache, divorce, diagnosis, job loss. It's all grief. Um, but the answer was, oh, my goodness, no, we're terrible at it. <laughs> and I thought, well, who's teaching community, community members to prepare for grief before it arrives? And the answer is no one. We wait until we're in crisis, then we react. And we create excessive and needless suffering along the way. Yvonne, where do you think those attitudes come from? Well, it's funny because when I was um, when I was writing my book, Love Your Life to Death, and it's so hilarious because my husband's a paramedic, I'm a nurse. We had no idea what we were doing, but I just I started pacing in the house and I said, you know, we don't talk about things before they arrive. We wait till we're in crisis. I was suffering as a healthcare professional. And I just said, we need to do something differently. And as I say, as as many of us change our entire lives, there was a pop-up on Facebook, (laughs) how to write a best-selling book. I went, oh my goodness, that's it. I'm going to leave my 27-year nursing career and write a book, (laughs) which, you know, my husband panicked a little. But I sent out one email, and this changed my life because I said, I want to hear, I don't want surveys and statistics. I want people's real stories. I want to hear, you know, how how they were in grief and found joy in their lives again. They were in the deep trenches, and I want to hear from professionals. And I thought, I wonder if anyone will share. I didn't even know if anyone would respond. And here we are five years later, the stories haven't stopped coming. And it's been truly life-changing for me, and I'm proud to say many people have said the same. But when I started to write my book, I asked that very question, like, how did we get here? How did we become so death-phobic? And truly, we've been led down this road. It's not our fault, but slowly, slowly but surely, we have left grieving to the professionals. We have left, end of, now it's the end of life, the professionals deal with it, right? It's like we have sanitized our society so that we don't have to. It's like, oh, somebody died, let's call the funeral home or the nurses will take care of the person we've, we've totally eliminated taking part. And so of course it's terrifying for us, (laughs) right? Like why wouldn't it be? And so we've slowly been led down this path to death phobia and now it's time for change. It's time to bring these conversations and normalize this back to community. And there, there are movements that uh, people are people are realizing it's either being ill-prepared for grief either causes or compounds mental health issues. It causes suffering because truly grief and facing end of life are just a part of this journey. We, we really try hard not to, but it truly, what, I, what we don't realize is that that feeds our anxiety and our suffering and our depression because, you know, when, when we can talk about plan and prepare 
for grief and even death and dying before, we can have logical conversations. We can make good decisions together. And at the beginning of the show, you mentioned organ donation. And I have been a nurse at the bedside uh, of more people than I can count when the doctor is awkwardly and so uncomfortably trying to have the conversation with someone whose loved one is on life support. They're all grieving, hysterical, in crisis. And now we're going to talk about being an organ donor. Just imagine, right? Imagine how excruciating that is. Like that, it's an awful time to bring up that conversation. So why not have those awkward, uncomfortable conversations long before they are needed? You can talk about it, you know, and... Um, I, I called my son. We have a we have a 25 year old and 14 year old twins, and I called my son out west. And people say, "Well, how do you start the the awkward conversation?" And I say, "This is how you start it." Hey, Ty, awkward conversation coming up. <laughs> like, there's there's no magical, you know, there's no magical words. There's no time that you're going to embrace the conversation. And I just said to him. I want to talk to you about organ donation. I'm very passionate about it. I I know hundreds of people whose lives have been saved by it. And if I ever have to make that decision, I don't want to have to make it. I want to know that we've already had this conversation. And um, if you feel the way I do, register and, and we never have to have this conversation again. Imagine. We're talking, that's right, we're talking with Yvonne Heath. Yvonne is the author of Love Your Life to Death, How to Plan and Prepare for End of Life So You Can Live Fully Now. And it's so great that you you brought up initiating conversations, and and you say it just like that, awkward conversation coming up. Because when people know a friend who's who's going through a tough time or when they themselves are going through a tough time and they have to talk to somebody, you don't know where to start. You don't, you don't know what to say. And you've highlighted that. Is there anything that, that you've come up with to say, to do, to, to uh, really kind of get that started? Because that seems to almost create that wall where ah, I better leave them alone, which is oh probably not what you want at all. Right. I love that. You've brought this up, Mike. <laughs> That is honestly after re- after writing my book, um, and I, I realized that you know people a lot of people think it's just about grief. Or grief is just about end of life, and truly, as I mentioned, grief is divorce, diagnosis, job loss. You know, your kid going to jail, children leaving home, children not leaving home. Oh my God, get a job! But there's there's grief throughout life, and you're so right because I going back to thinking that only the professionals are qualified to get in there and and be a part of, you know, whatever crisis has gone on. And that's not the way we need to function as a society. When you are grieving, having a hard time, we need our community because the truth is, as I shared in my TED Talk, that professionals are only going to be a part of whatever, you know, the dying process or when we have a chronic illness or whatever we're facing they're going to be a part of it a very small fraction of the time. And when you're grieving or in crisis, it's 24-7, and you need the people that you love, that you care about, to be a part of this journey. And I think we're too hard on ourselves, right? Because when we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say, we avoid because we're afraid to do or say the wrong thing. And what I encourage people is, You know, when you lead with your heart and you're there because you care and you're trying to help, 
that when you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say, it's awkward, it's uncomfortable, and you can't fix it, the magic answer to remember forever, (laughs) three words, just show up. Just show up. Your hot, messy self, you can cry, you can say, I'm having a hard time, this is awful, I'm here. And the, the tasks of daily life also continue on, don't they? Even if you're, you're paralyzed by grief or whatever's going on in your life, go walk their dog, cut the grass, pick up their kids. Just be a part of the journey. And, and that even just it led us to creating the I Just Showed Up movement, which is we want to teach people of all ages how to just show up for themselves and others so they are empowered and resilient when grief arrives. We can do better. We just, you know, we, we need to we need to be compassionate with ourselves and and be okay with just showing up and not being a professional. Yvonne Heath joining us, author of Love Your Life to Death. Yvonne, you now are in a position where people have heard you speak, people have read your book, and now they come back and talk to you. What do they tell you about some of the things that that you have been saying or you have been writing and what's that mean to you? It's the feedback I get from people is my fuel and it gets me up at 4.30 in the morning and keeps me going because I have heard things that are so moving and um, one particular uh, example comes to mind all the time because uh, with the bracelet, you know, it's a reminder, this little bracelet, it says hashtag I just showed up and it reminds people to show up for themselves first and when you don't know what to do, don't you don't know what to say, just show up. You can make the difference. And a friend of mine, I had heard that her cousin's son ended his life. Now, when people die by suicide, that is just obviously the most excruciating grief, right, that you could possibly imagine. And uh, she said to me that it, all, all my words kept came back because she's like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. She went, wait a minute. <laughs> like, that, I've heard that. And she looked at her bracelet and she said, I just have to show up. And she was so uncomfortable, but she called her cousin. And because I would say, when you think of calling and you're not sure, just call. If the person doesn't want to talk, they won't pick up the phone or it'll be a very short conversation. And most of the time, all people need to do is be validated, acknowledge and allow their feelings and just listen. So she said she picked up the phone and she just said her, you know, this is Susan. (laughs) It wasn't Susan, but anyways, this is Susan. And she said her cousin just talked for 20 minutes and cried on the phone. She she didn't even have to say anything. But so many people, because it's such a a horrible, awful situation, would definitely think, oh, my gosh, I better not call. But grief and crisis, it's very isolating. You know, it's very isolating. And we just need people to be okay with being human, allow your humanness, and just show up. Yvonne, you've got such a great message. Thanks so much for creating it. Thanks so much for all the work you put into spreading it, and thanks for the time today. Thank you so much, Mike. So appreciate it. Anyone's welcome to visit the website. Follow. We've got some great stuff coming up. So loveyourlifetodeath.com. Yvonne, have a great day. That is Yvonne Heath, author of Love Your Life to Death. And again, she just gave the website, loveyourlifetodeath.com. It's how to plan and prepare for end of life so you can live fully now. And I love how she points out we've got a death phobia. You do. Anybody here, raise your hand. You 
want your life to end? I don't see too many hands in the air. Sometimes that happens, but for the most part, no. I'd like to put that off for a while. This isn't a bad place. So how do you deal with things that do come up? Because she watched for so many years being in places like intensive care, being in places like a chemotherapy ward, being in places like emergency, where lives change like that, and how people only start having that conversation about what they want or how they feel or any of those things. When you get into those circumstances, and by then you've got so many other things to deal with, nothing really gets done. It's a tough conversation to start. It's a lot like organ donation. How do you bring that up? It's a lot like funerals. How do you bring that up? Well, you just do. And you know what? Once you do, there's a chance that all of a sudden other things come up. So thanks to Yvonne. You can check that out. Loveyourlifetodeath.com. Let's take a break. More to come on London Live when we return. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. It's too easy in life now to get caught up in the details. I don't pay a lot of attention to entertainment stuff, but there's some stuff going around today that you think, really? Really? You know Jason Momoa? He's Aquaman. Now you probably know him. Picture the, you know, when you're walking around a, a sporting goods store and you've got that boxing torso. So it's got the head and it's got the pecs and it's got the abs and it's there just so, I don't know, you can practice body blows, I guess. I don't, I don't know what it's there for, but it's, it's kind of a boxing thing. You know how it's, it's chiseled? It is you know, what, if a guy wanted to look like a thing, that's what a guy would aspire to look like. Big pecs, six-pack abs, big biceps. That's Jason Momoa. That's him. He's Aquaman. So he's on vacation in Venice. And of course, he's Aquaman. He gets pictures snapped of him through telephoto lenses by paparazzi. That's just the world he lives in. That's why you never want to become too famous. You never want to become too famous to buy lettuce. That's always the thing. If you can't go into a grocery store and buy lettuce without someone coming up to you and talking to you, then that's going to be a problem in your life because you'll be nice and you'll say hi and all those things, but you should be able to go into a grocery store and buy lettuce. Now, that being said, a lot of great conversations start buying lettuce. So never, never, you know, avoid walking over to someone who's buying lettuce who you might recognize and talk to them. But I'm just saying that's kind of the dividing line. If, if you can't go outside without a whole bunch of people, one of the uh, One Direction guys talked about when he knew he was famous because he used to go out for jogs from his house. And then he went on tour with One Direction. They became ultra-famous overnight. And he came back and he went out for a jog. And he needed to call the police by the time he got home because he was being followed by so many girls. So Jason Momoa is on this vacation in Venice and somebody snaps a picture and posts it. And what happens? Well, he gets shredded by some comments 
saying he looks like he has a dad bod. Oh, guess he stopped working out. Not as chiseled as he used to be. But this person adds in, still very irresistible. Who are you people? Leave this guy alone. Can I see a picture of you so I can rip on you? You know what would happen if I did that? You know, someone has has carved him on here. Goodness gracious, where did his body go? He still looks really good. You can still see abs. And he's a dad and he's on vacation. Leave him alone. But what would happen if all of a sudden I took some time to respond to any of the people who have shredded him saying, hey, can I see a picture of your body? Can I rip on you for for the way you look? Because I'm willing to bet... You're not chiseled. Oh, but that's his job. He's a movie star. Give me a break. We get caught up in the details, and it's too easy to sit back and go, Ew, look at that. Oh, I'm going to make this comment. It's brutal. That's why I don't go on Facebook a lot. I don't like Facebook. I really, sorry, Mark Zuckerberg. I don't like it. It's not a fun place to be. It's a lot of adult show and tell. And it's a lot of look at me. Look what I did. Give me a break. I don't care. You know, live your life. Have a good time. You want to show somebody a picture of the kids and, and share that? That's fine. But day after day after day of look at me? No. And let this guy go. Let him just live his life. Let him, you know, he wasn't saying look at me. Other people were saying look at him. Now they're shredding him. I don't get it. Let's take a break. News is on the way next. And then we will talk with Roop Chanderdat, play a little bit of This Is Your Life with Roop. And before we close out the show, we will preview tonight at Rock the Park and get a little behind the scenes as to how Rock the Park works. How do they get so many different acts to come to Rock the Park? We'll have details. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Rock the Park coming up tonight, FM 96 night, Five Finger Death Punch, the headliners. And I think there is a chance of a little bit of rain here and there, is there not? Uh, Maybe not tonight. Trying to think of what John Wilson had said. He will have all kinds of weather details in less than a half hour from now. So we'll get all caught up as to what tonight is going to be like. Last night, a little bit of rain, but I'm willing to bet You know when you're at a concert and it's warm and it rains? Isn't that one of the most amazing experiences? I love it. You know, it's it's just, if it's really warm, you get that rain. Being out in the rain, that sometimes gets a bad rap. Take some time. When You know the summer rains where it pours? You go outside, you run around. We used to sail things, grass and stuff. But down the the uh, kind of the, the gutters and the subdivision, that sort of thing, that was a blast with the kids. Always went out in rainstorms. So I hope that's what last night was like. But we'll talk with Brad Jones of Jones Entertainment Group. Right now, we get an opportunity to congratulate somebody who has achieved quite the milestone. Roop Chanderdat, manager of the London Majors, co-owner of the London Majors, joins us on London Live Roop hit 300 victories on the weekend. Now, the schedule has been really, really busy. Uh, The majors played on Tuesday. That was a makeup game. They were beaten by Kitchener. Then they played last night in Brantford, had a lead going into the ninth inning, ended up losing that one. But they are back home to Kitchener tomorrow night at 735 at Labatt Park. Roop Chanderdad joins us now. Roop, with this busy schedule, we've got to apologize. We haven't had a chance to say congratulations on number 300, but congratulations on number 300. 
Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, it means a lot coming from you guys, and I appreciate that. Now, when you think back, take us all the way back to taking over the majors and becoming their manager. What was going on in your life at that point, and, and what went into the decision to do what you're doing now? You know what, Mike? Uh, yeah, that's a long time ago. I mean, never thought I'd get the 300. But you know what? When I started, it was just a, I wanted to kind of create an atmosphere, create a, you know, a team, you know, uh, a place where high-level kids could come play, high-level guys could come play and compete. And if they want to move on to the next level, we can get help them get there. If they're coming back down, you know, they can still play a competitive brand of baseball. So we want to create that atmosphere, that environment for them. And, uh, you know, that's what I wanted to do because I played in the league. And, uh, you know, when we took over for Martin, Scott, and I, we wanted to create that, you know, a pro-like atmosphere so guys could would want to come play at Labatt Park. Now, it's not an easy thing to do. That's that's a lofty goal, and yet you look at the number of guys you brought in, not just from this area, but other countries in so many different situations, on their way up, on their way down. You guys have achieved what you set out to do. What is it like to know that? You know what? That feels good, actually. You know what? When we, the vision I had at the start, you know, at, at first it seemed... You know, people are going, what, you're crazy? Because I wanted to, just like you talked about, kind of have a worldwide reach. I wanted to send guys. We sent guys to Italy, Australia, Venezuela. But I also wanted to bring in guys from there. We wanted to show kids, you know, especially the local kids, you know, how other countries, how other kids train, how other kids prepare and what it takes, you know. So that was a big, you know, to give them another experience. If they're not going there, at least they could see kids coming here and players coming here and what it takes and, and how they do it, you know. So that's been big for us, both sending guys and bringing guys back. But you know what? I wanted to kind of change the climate of baseball here in London, and that was part of the plan. We're talking with Roop Chanderdat, who has now crossed 300 wins in inter-county baseball. Winning a championship is something that is so hard to do. You look at the other organizations, what Barry has been able to do the last five years in inter-county. In, in winning a championship, where does that sit right now for you? You know what? It is a motivation. You do want to win a championship, not just not just for me. You know, for the, all the guys that have gone through for the city of London, uh, you know, we definitely want to win a championship, but uh, at the same time, you know, we do want to always put out a good product on the field so fans and local people can come and, uh, you know, they know we work hard, play well, and, and a good brand of baseball. But for sure, you do want to win a championship for, for all the guys, all the, you know, all the volunteers, Scott, everyone else that puts in time with the majors. Roop, when you look at players that you've brought in over the years, Cleveland Brownlee might become the most famous. Can you give us the Cleveland Brownlee story? You know, it's a good story. You know what? Uh, yeah, for sure he would be the most famous. You know, when um, it was Cecil Fielder, through Cecil Fielder and another gentleman, you know, um, said they got a kid in Atlanta that can hit a ball, you know, very, very far. And I said, you know what, we'll take a chance. And we brought him and Chauncey Ward. You know, two six foot five guys came in that year, and uh, you know what? With Cleveland, when he first came in, you know he had huge power. But the first game, uh, Jetbox game, he got hurt actually, and we weren't sure if he was going to be able to to make it back for the rest of the season. He hurt his back pretty bad because of the cold weather, and uh, you know what? 
as they say, you know, he got back and he's been here ever since and putting up big numbers. And you know what? I'm lucky to coach Cleve and very fortunate to have him here in London. One of the things that you have to balance in managing the majors is the fact that these guys are not day-to-day baseball players. Each and every one of them has another job, has other commitments. How do you do that? You know what, Mike, and you hit the nail on the head. That's the hardest part of uh, managing the, the, this team and in this environment. You know, you got guys 18, 20 years old that are still striving. Then you got guys 30 years old. You know, they have, you know, wife, kids, and they're working. So that's the tough part. And you know what? It took me a couple of years to find that balance, how hard to push them, when to push them, and stuff like that. So, you know what? That just comes from experience. And I, I think, you know, over the years of experience, you kind of find that right balance and, uh, on what buttons to push and when to push those buttons. So what's next for you? What what would what would be on your list of to do? You know what? Three hundred wins wasn't on my list to do. You know when I started that, I can't even I couldn't even fathom thinking three hundred. You know, I just like I said, you know what? It'd be nice to win a championship. But every day I go to the park. You know, it's I, I go day to day. You know, I, I go there. I told the guys, I'm going to give you my best effort, and I asked them to give me their best effort. So that's kind of the day-to-day. You just go out there and you try to grind away. But in saying a grind, I, I do enjoy it, though. I do enjoy coaching the team. I enjoy going to the park and, and helping these young men. It's What's especially gratifying is when you see guys, you know, five, ten years later. We, we celebrated the 2008 pennant winning team. And to see those guys come back to the park, you know, they shake your hand, they give you a hug, and then they kind of realize what you're trying to help them with. And just recently, we had a guy, Chris Chambers, who played for me. He came back here from California. He came back. We had an import spot, and he played just one weekend. And you know what? You know, he just said, Roop, look, I can't. The things you're trying to help me with now, you have grown up into a man. He appreciates what we've done. He sees how much we've done for everyone. So that goes a long way, you know, when you hear those thank you. And and lastly, to get the 300 win, you know, I'm not naive. It takes a lot of people, a lot of sacrifices from your family, from your friends, from colleagues. You know, you need the players, training staff, your coaches, your family for all the sacrifices. You know, Scott, all the volunteers. You know what? It takes everyone to, to get there. You know what? I, I have a small, small part in it, and everyone else plays a, a big role in, in helping us achieve 300 wins. So I, I appreciate all the help from everyone that's helped me, you know, reach this milestone. Well, Rube, congratulations on the milestone. Many more ahead. Thanks for the time today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Rube Chanderdat, manager and co-owner of the London Majors. 300 career victories. And that's not that easy to get because they don't play 162 games in a year. I mean, the season is well past halfway, and the majors, they got off to a slow start because he had a young team, and Roop has kind of turned this around. They've had a, a couple of little blips. Like we mentioned last night, you go into the ninth inning with a lead. They don't wind up winning, but this team is playing really well. They play tomorrow night against the Kitchener Panthers, who are right now tied for first place in the Intercounty Baseball League, and the majors are in that mix for third, so they're Two top teams, or two of the top teams, getting set to go head-to-head tomorrow night, 7.35 at Labatt Park. We'll take a break. Tonight, tonight at Harris Park is night number two of Rock the Park. We're going to go behind the scenes of Rock the Park. We'll talk about a number of things, but one of the things we want to get into is the mix of acts. Country last night, you've got Snoop Dogg tomorrow night, you've got Rock tonight, How do you get all of that mixed together? 
Brad Jones will give us some of the behind the scenes next. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Rock the Park tonight. Five Finger Death Punch is headlining. It is rock night. It is FM 96 night. And it's always an absolute blast. The weather is hot, but definitely cooperating. And if you are looking to get yourself down to the park and take it in, well, let's talk a little bit about Rock the Park. Whether it's tonight you're going or tomorrow you're going or the next night, you name it. Brad Jones from Jones Entertainment Group joins us on London Live. Brad, now that you're right in the thick of this, one night down, more to go, what is life even like for you? You know, we spend, this is almost a one-year operation now. It's got to that level. But um, when we're down in the park, you know, Monday and Tuesday are just grinds and setting up the park. Um, and then, you know, once the audience, and we had just over 7,000 people last night for our country night, and other than an hour rain from 7 till 8, uh, didn't have any real issues. Um, so, you know, today is... You know, more of the same. We've got uh, these five rock bands in tonight. We've, uh, our partners at FM 96. We've got a you know great show tonight, expecting somewhere between 7,500 and 8,000 tonight. So it's just sort of tidying up the park, cleaning up the garbage, uh, setting the stage for the five acts, and then, you know, doors open at 4 o'clock again, and, and it's more of the same. And, you know, make sure security and police are in place and, um, you know, to make sure the beard's pulled and the food vendors are ready and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you've listed off about 17 things in that. So those, yeah, those kinds of things. Last night with the rain, there are times at concerts where rain is so welcome. Last night must have been kind of like that, though, wasn't it? It, Yeah, Mike, it it really was, to be honest. And it was the best part was, I mean, uh, you and I are the same vintage. So David Lee Murphy was, you know, had some major hits in the 90s. And so he was on stage, and, and when he and it was pouring when he was on for his one-hour set, and he came off and looked at me and said, how great is that when you look out at 7,000 people that a lot of them weren't even born when I had my first hit single? And he said, they, they didn't move. They just, you know, accepted the rain, and they were screaming louder than they were before the rain and, and having a blast. And I think that's the beauty of outdoor music festivals, Mike, you know, is the fact that people know it's going to be really hot, it's going to be really wet, and you come and you get your rain poncho on and, and the girlfriends get on the shoulders of their boyfriends and, and you know, scream louder. Brad Jones, president of Jones Entertainment Group, as we talk about Rock the Park. Tonight's headliners, Five Finger Death Punch. It is FM 96 night. It is going to be a blast. When you look at at bringing in acts, you certainly grab from absolutely every genre. And if you you talk to kids these days, they listen to music from every genre. It's it's something that, that must take a whole lot of planning. How exactly do you determine who you're going to get and, and who you're going to go after for all of these nights? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, and every year is different. So if you remember, the first 10 years of Rock the Park traditionally were a three-day classic rock festival. And uh, it was about five, six years ago uh, when we had Sammy Hagar, Michael Anthony. Literally, we had half of Van Halen on our stage, Jason Bonham, Jason Bonham playing drums, and, and we didn't even have 4,000 people in the audience on a beautiful Friday night. And my brother, Craig, looked at me, and, and we said, listen, if we don't change quick, 
Rock the Park's not going to exist. So the following year, we went and got Darius Rucker, you know, from Hootie and the Blowfish, and Darius had a great country career. And we sold out 12,000 tickets, and we looked at each other and said, okay, this is, we've got something special here. Let's maybe change it up and, and try to find, you know, eight to 12,000 people from different genres of music. And that's what we've done over the last five, six years. And so when you ask how we buy that entertainment, um, we team up. We have a buying group uh, of myself from London, Ottawa um, Fest- Festival d'été in Quebec, the Ottawa Blues Festival. Mark Monahan's a good friend there. Uh, Cavendish PEI is a country festival that's the weekend for us. And then um, the Milwaukee Summerfest, which is one of the biggest summer festivals in America. And the five of us fly to California. We fly to Nashville and we fly to New York and we spend a week with agents and managers. And we literally sit down at a boardroom table and say, you know, Snoop Dogg, uh, Mike is the perfect example. So we all buy Snoop Dogg. So we basically say, you know, Bob in Milwaukee will get a Sunday. Uh, you know, we'll pick off a casino on a Tuesday in Detroit, and then uh, Brad will grab the Friday, and Ottawa will grab the Saturday, and Quebec grabs the Sunday. So that's sort of how it works, and we all throw different ideas around. And what works in some markets isn't going to work in others, but, um, you know, that's sort of how the formula works, and it's, it's been working very well the last few years. Man, it's a whole lot more complex, I think, than any of us realized. <laughs> Like I said to you, when you called, you know, when I started this thing, I had really nice brown hair, and now I don't have so much. <laughs> well, you're doing a phenomenal job. So whatever you're doing, don't worry about the hair. Keep it up. We'll look <laughs> forward to tonight. Brad, thanks so much for doing what you do, and thanks for being on London Live this afternoon. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon. Appreciate it. Definitely. Brad Jones from Jones Entertainment Group. Tonight, in this moment, Kill Switch Engage. I Prevail, Pop Evil, and Five Finger Death Punch, and it is FM 96 Night. Now, this is something that has actually been raised. This is the first time that we have had a Rock the Park Festival since October the 17th of 2018. Remember that day when marijuana became legal? You can't smoke pot in front of the stage. You can't do that. This is still a park. There is a designated area where you can actually go and smoke pot. But that was something that became a a kind of a question mark last night. You can't just spark up a joint standing in the park. There is a designated area. You've got to find that, and that is where you wind up having to go. So... Enjoy yourself tonight. Enjoy the heat. We'll find out again more about weather details with John Wilson in just about 10 minutes. We'll take a break and close out the show next. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One last thing that we've got to mention before we close out. Look at the date. You remember the time when I think it was right around the turn of the century. It sounds weird to say that. But when everything became, oh, look, it's 010101. Oh, look, it's 020202. Remember we did that for a while? And then we kind of ran out. As soon as you were through 12 calendar months, you stop having cool things. To say, oh, look, it's, uh, it's uh, 070615. That doesn't make any sense. Today, though, is July the 11th. It is 7-Eleven Day, and that means it is 7-Eleven Slushy Day, and they are celebrating 50 years of 7-Eleven. I think if you stop in today, and don't take my word for this, but you either get a deal on small Slurpees, 
Or you might even be able to get a free tiny little Slurpee. Isn't that what they do? 7-Eleven day. And on a hot day like this, that's never a bad thing to have. Were they the first ones to have like a Slurpee, slushy, squishy kind of drink? Or was it Slush Puppy? Were they the first to say, you know, if we take this crushed up ice and put some flavoring on it, people will eat it. They'll love it. Who knew? We're out of time on a Thursday. Do stay cool. Thanks so much to Kelly Wong for her help. London Live is brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. Details on the weather with John Wilson and news coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.